Anytime. Now? Yeah. Well, uh, should I start? Yeah, if you want. Okay. <laughs> this is The Universe, Episode 11, Using Bare Eyes, on Tuesday, June 5th, 2012. And now, 10 feet tall and 10 feet deep. Hey there. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good, how are you? I'm pretty good. Just got back from grilling. Yeah. Yep. That's a common, common occurrence. On a Monday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how about you? How are you doing? How was your little uh, cabin trip? Uh, it was good. It's good. I, yeah, I was at uh, a friend's cabin over the weekend and relaxed, played some D&D, which was cool. Uh, just kind of hung out. Yeah. Yeah, today I've been watching the uh, E3 coverage, and earlier this morning uh, at the Microsoft slash Xbox press conference, they did a little unveiling of some Halo 4 footage for the first time. Yeah, I noticed that as well when you after you told me. <laughs> yeah, so what did you uh, think about that footage? Well, so, I mean, the game looks great. I mean, like, graphics look good, story looks pretty good, I'm excited to play the like i i think it's good that they use the forerunner as a new story element yeah main story element they like hinted at it and then well they they had it really in the background before yeah and it was but i think it that's a good direction to go with it right Uh, the forerunner element before was too floody yeah yeah well and what uh what is the studio now that's doing this uh like so it um it's three four three guilty sparks studio thing yeah, yeah. so uh Indus- that's a- 343 for- industries or something yeah yeah so it's a, that's a pretty good direction for them to sort of make it their own sort of bring in a new element to the forefront um but so from the gameplay the first thing i noticed is that uh the the guy playing for the gameplay trailer mm-hmm. is not very good you know and i had no i so i'd been watching this stuff all day and i noticed most of the people they hit up on stage yeah. had no idea how to play the games they were doing. And so yeah. it, it turns out most of the people who are playing games were people who were in, involved in de- development, and so they're not really gamers like that. They're not, like, super okay. super good gamers. Yeah. They're just regular people. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't bad, but yeah. not good. So the second thing I noticed was uh, the... Well, it's sort of like a nitpicky thing, but the graphics don't look as cool as i would have expected but i suppose since it's going to be on the 360 still right that i mean that's not surprise and of course uh they did say that it is coming out this year and so i mean i didn't like the changes they made for reach of course um i mean i didn't i didn't like any halo since halo one so i mean i don't know but um one of the things i'd be interesting into seeing is just how um the gravity and other things work in this game because I felt like they ruined the gravities in the other game. Yeah. Well, so uh, one thing that I noticed in as as far as the gravity is that uh, in the gameplay trailer, I don't know if this was uh, while the player was controlling the character or if it was a forced movement, but uh, Master Chief jumps down a cliff that seems pretty tall and doesn't take any fall damage. Hmm. Um, which I really, I, I really think that's good because I don't know if you ever read any of the the story material or like any of the books or anything, but uh, the Spartan suits are supposed to be able to... Because they're supposed withstand. to be able to harden, right? Well, they they have uh, sort of like muscle right. augmenting... They're the uh, exoskeleton uh, things. Yeah, and yeah. so in and so they, they're able to 
fall great distances without any trouble, really. Mm-hmm. And even like crashing from an escape pod doesn't completely disable the suit. Um, right. So I, I think that's a that's fine. I'm not I'm not worried at all by that. I think some people don't like not not having any fall damage, but I think it makes sense in this game. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second thing I uh, I liked was the weapons. Yes, so this, the, it's a very unique style of weapons now. Right, and and I like how you sort of discover them. It's like, oh shit, what is this? And then, well, it's something we've never seen before. I mean, we're pretty used to uh, Covenant carbine weapons and the regular human weapons, so it's nice to have something new. Yeah, and I and I like what they did with like the self assembling. Like, yeah, that, isn't that, that cool? Runner esque to me. Yeah, definitely. Uh-huh. Well, I don't and, th- I don't think we've seen orange forerunner lights before, so that's kind of no, cool. That's true. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I just keep an index of four color runner color or runner color yeah uh yeah yeah no that's that's an interesting observation what did you think of the little forerunner creatures or whatever they were well i (laughs) i actually was watching uh uh an anime show with a friend the other day Hmm. and some of the the robots that you that he the player first encounters um the little dog-like ones Mm -hmm. uh look exactly like some robots that were in this anime they were watching and so that's the first thing i thought of oh that's funny what anime was that god it was uh uh it was like birdie siphon ah uh, yes yes something mm-hmm. yeah bird like er something birdie decode yep i, I don't know yeah so, i know exactly what you're talking about yeah and so the, the like the little dog creatures looked exactly like those so that's the first thing i thought of mm-hmm. the second thing that i thought was uh and this was near the end actually when uh so they they said a name. It was uh, Reclaimer. Reclaimer. Yep. And so the, when I heard that right away, I thought Mass Effect. I don't know if you ever played Mass Effect. I played Mass Effect two, but I don't know anything about it because I kind of lost my game save. Well, really, Mass Effect one I think is I I don't know people might disagree with me. It was better as far as story. I didn't really the Mass Effect two story didn't pull me in really. Mass well, Effect 1. the game didn't really pull me in in general. So yeah. Um. And so the. Like part as part of the storyline, there's this ancient race of reapers, mm-hmm. which for whenever a spacefaring civilization uh, is deemed to be at the end of its existence, which is essentially when it gets too big, powerful, right, and it starts to discover the secrets. <laughs> of, <laughs> right, and and so the the reapers go and r- wipe everyone out. Right, like all the spacefaring civilizations just sort of reset everything, uh, and that like right away I thought of that. And the forerunner is doing that, mm-hmm. and so I'm kind of hoping that they don't copy that too much. Well, so I don't think they're going to be copying that too much. So what? Because um, see, I I really love the Halo universe, and I really uh, like the lore and the idea of everything that happened there. Yeah. Uh, I'm not so which I'm not. I don't care so much about the Covenant politics, but I do like um, the the flood and the idea of the forerunners trying to contain the flood. So I think. You know, as as you probably can guess, the Forerunners were a super advanced civilization, and and they they made some artificial life, but it turned out they made the flood kind of mostly, and they tried to not have it eat everything in the universe, so they tried to wipe out everybody in the universe or the galaxy, I guess, uh, instead of having the flood take over everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so somehow humans managed to evolve, you know, a few million years later or a billion, and I don't think yeah. they're going to go down that route again because. Uh, I think the flood and then the forerunners trying to wipe everyone out to prevent the flood from taking over was kind of that storyline already. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So did you watch both videos on that uh, page I put in the show notes? Uh, you know, I didn't watch the official trailer. I just watched the gameplay. Is that the first one? So if you watch the second one, um, tell me if those are real people. So uh, I just watched the that trailer. This the, um, the, the official trailer. The official trailer. Okay. Right. Uh, and. Uh, they're definitely real people. Okay, so is this the first they're time... they also not very good actors. I agree. Now, is this the first time there have been real actors in an official trailer or in any Halo game like that? Uh, in Halo? I think so. I think so I, also. I haven't seen all of the trailers recently, so I don't know. Why don't... I mean, I like... I, I've played... I've seen every cutscene in Halo ever, except the, <laughs> like, the legendary things. But I don't think... They've ever had live actors before. Yeah, it's a very command uh, and conquer esque move on their part. It also, I don't think it looks very good. I didn't think so either. And did you see the woman with the ridiculous hair? Yeah, that I was like, person is that person is not okay. Just so you know, yeah. she. Uh, I hope she gets sucked out of the ship. Right. So, <laughs> so after watching that, it says an ancient evil awakens. I think it said that in the other one too. Maybe it did. Uh, and like, so. That makes me think that they're going to cast the Forerunners as evil, which I don't think is necessarily a good idea. But we'll see. I, don't, yeah. I mean, like, they haven't revealed anything, so we'll right. see how they... Yeah, that could be very misleading. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I and, and so at the end of the video, right before, like, the like they cut to that little agent evil thing awakens, did it look like the ship particles were, like, streaming off from the guy's face? Like, there was a guy looking in a window, like, outside the ship, and it looked like particles were streaming off his face into the void. Maybe well, just... it's like a black hole. Well, I didn't, it, is that what it was? I couldn't tell. I don't, well, I don't think it was a black hole. I think it was a, like, some sort of, it looked, what it looked to me, so you saw the captain in yeah. his room, mm-hmm. and, like, blast goes over him, and then he turns around and looks, and there's, like, this giant hole, right. but it's, like, a hole in a, in a machine. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's like they were flying through space, and a giant Forerunner machine transported them to another world. But then in the gameplay trailer, Master Chief is on that world, and, and then it like, looks like he's they're they're crashing in. Right. Right. Yeah. So so the legendary end of Halo Three, Master Chief is floating by is, a world, right? Yeah, and yeah. he's getting to a world. So the fact that that happens is, I I mean, I think that's cool. That that sort of like cosmic coincidence that sparks this sort of epic story is pretty cool, I think. Well, I think um, what happened at the end of Halo 3 was he went to, to the Ark on the outside of the galaxy, and then it exploded, and then he floated back somewhere. Right, right. Yeah. So the legendary ending, you see him in a ship with Cortana. Right. Uh, says... Wake uh, me up later. Right. Well, and and the legendary ending, Cortana wakes him up. Oh, crap. I didn't know that. And uh, says that they're approaching a world. Hmm. And so that's what this is. That's well. how he gets world well he he's approached the world so i mean i I really love this halo stuff i mean it is probably the best sci-fi storyline i can follow that i actually like that's in games i mean mass Mass effect maybe would have been okay had i like paid attention i just didn't like mass effect as much i like halo better it's more interactive for me i can shoot things i mean i i think the the universe as portrayed in the first mass effect was great i haven't played two and three really enough to say Mm -hmm. i didn't like two very much from what i did play but that was just the beginning. Um, but anyways, yeah, no, I definitely agree. Halo is one of the coolest science fiction video game universes that I've, that I've experienced as well. Yeah, because, um, you know, you don't experience too many. Right, uh, which is sad because I really like science fiction and I really like video games. Yeah. Um, although, 
I am getting my fill on fantasy video games lately. But <laughs> oh, one one more thing I want to say about the gameplay trailer is mm-hmm. there's a couple scenes where it looks like they they uh, take away character control from from the gamer, yeah. which I always think is a bad idea. I really don't like. I mean, if you're gonna have something bad like to as part of the story, something happens to the character that they can't avoid. Mm-hmm. Don't make it so they lose control of the character. Just make it so it happens no matter what they try and do. Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, having well, having control um, taken away and then having something happen to your character seems like a disconnect as far for me, especially as far well, as... Well, that, that brings me back to Journey that you played a couple of weeks ago, I think. Uh, yes. You know, uh, in Journey, there's a place in the game, no spoilers, of course, but there's a place in the game where you're walking up this hill, and then if, when you get to the top of the hill, you know, you're trying to get to the top of the mountain, that's the point of the game, you, you get to the top of the hill or as far as you can go and you faint, but... You, they, what they could have done is they could have literally had you walk through the doorway, and then you could have literally walked up the hill without your without you holding the buttons down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of what you're pointing out. Like it's going to happen, so make it so no, no matter where you walk up that hill, you just faint and stuff happens after. Right. Yeah, I know what you mean. So, well, uh, that I mean that's not a huge deal, but I hope they don't do it too often. Yeah. Well, uh-huh. I uh, I believe the release date is uh, November sixth. So it's not that far away. No, that's impressive. Yeah, I'm, I'm sooner really... than uh, another game. I was going to say Windows. <laughs> oh, uh, well, that that as well. Um, <laughs> I was I was thinking of the other game that we have talked about recently, which was and are going to play this weekend. Oh, Guild Wars. Well, who knows when that's going to come out? Right, probably not by November. Actually, no. I think I think November or December is a pretty good. They did say it was going to come out this year. This year, twenty twelve. Yeah. Yep, they did say it was going to come out this year. Oh well. I mean, if okay. if they're far if they're far enough along to allow all of the dedicated gamers, the people who kind of like playing, I mean, yeah. they're gonna. I mean, if they can handle that many things already, I th- and they've just doubled their servers and they're not even live yet, I think they're they're quite close to being satisfied. Yeah, I mean, not not having the two of the races in the playtest and only having. Uh, content up to level 35 when the cap is going to be... Oh, I'm sure they have content more than that, but I'm sure they're still no, refining that. Right, not a lot. Not having it in the beta makes me think that there's still some quite a bit of refining to do. Yeah, but I but mean, you they, know... It does appear that they have a lot of it done. But uh, did they say they were going to have up to level 80 content right out of the game? Uh, they did not. This is I have not heard... I did not hear that, but I would expect that they would have some, because... How are so? Are they going to do like a World of Warcraft thing where they increase the level cap slowly? Or That's a, that is a good question. I don't know because they they have not commented on yet how they will do expansions or new campaigns as if they did it in Halo uh, Halo One, uh, Guild Wars One. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so we'll, we'll see cool. about that. But I am excited to play that this weekend. Yep, that's coming up this weekend. You can get your copy of Guild Wars Two and join us. Yes. We'll. We might even. Uh, yeah, we should uh, do like a a live stream or something while we play. Not necessarily the game, but just us talking. Oh, we can. And we maybe uh, people can join in. I'll see if I can set that we'll up. I, we'll find out if I can have enough bandwidth. Oh yeah, I <laughs> yeah. mean, I, I could probably host a hangout. Okay, how much that. bandwidth do you have up? Uh, not not positive off the top of my head. Okay, well, as long as it's more than like a megabit per second, it should be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. good games. Yeah, really cool. mm-hmm. I'm, that's, I'm excited for games for the first time in years. Do you want to talk about some news? Yeah. Um, 
Let's see. What news should we start with? Uh, do you have an answer? Um, no, I don't have an answer. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, thanks for ruining my... <laughs> okay, fine. Fine. You know what? I, I do have an answer. You know, I think we should talk about this answer syndrome thing. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait a... Look <laughs> on your toes. So... <laughs> Apparently, Ryan does not suffer from answer syndrome. <laughs> you know, actually, I really do suffer from answer syndrome. Yeah, I, I mean, I do too. Uh, but it's it is a very interesting article that we were actually going to talk about last week, but we ran out of time. Um, and uh, it's an article on IO9, which brings up uh, in a very <laughs> sort of ironic environment. Yeah, the the problem of answer syndrome. Uh, which it it's ironic because most of the people on IO9 probably have answer syndrome. Oh yes, and if you read the comments, they do mention that everybody in the comments has it. So yes, right. Uh, being being aware that you have answer syndrome is is the first step to recovery. <laughs> but <laughs> yes, it is. So, so I suppose we should explain what what they mean by answer syndrome. We might want to do that. Yes. Um. So that's having an answer to everything. Uh, think thinking that you know the answer to everything. Um. So. If you often find yourself answering questions or correcting people who have misinformation, then you probably suffer from answer syndrome. Not not necessarily. You could just be uh, really smart and, well, I suppose that's still answer syndrome. But well, you specifically mentions answer syndrome in the context of not actually knowing the answer. Right. Thinking you know the answer. Right, yes. And that's definitely... a. I think a common thing, as they say, amongst people who are very in, knowledgeable in a, a small number of fields, mm-hmm. and then from always being the go-to guy to get some get information in that field, they think that they know everything about everything. Uh, I know that that definitely peop, uh, that's definitely true about me. Sometimes I, I try and not do it, but I don't know. Well, I'm trying to think of what would be the the opposite or the reverse of Antra syndrome. It'd be like uh, denying, you know, not knowing anything. Syndrome? No, I don't think it's. I don't think it's not knowing. I think it's denying that you know. I suppose could be like because I feel like quite often I deny that I know things that people think I do. Right. Well, so I I well that would be like the opposite in two ways. I would think the opposite just from thinking that you know the answer and saying it would be thinking that you know the answer and withholding that. I think that's because- the contrapositive. No? Uh, don't even try. I mean, it's impossible. I don't even know what that means. I hate that stuff. The contrapositive? Yes. I mean, the contrapositive is... Uh, it's not okay. Well, but it is. No, it's not. Yeah, because the contrapositive is true, the initial statement is true. See? You have answer syndrome. I don't. I just know... <laughs> oh, God. Uh, okay. Well done. Yes. Well, thank you. Uh, that was very good. <laughs> very good. So, <laughs> yes, I, I, I failed to catch myself on that one. So, uh, I, I, I'm sure that it happens to you as well. It does. Where people, especially uh, as far as computer science and things go, people come to you with questions all the time, and you know the answer, and then. Something comes up where you think you know the answer and you just say it. Happens to me because people in the past think that I'm really good at certain things. And then they ask me questions about those. And oftentimes I do know the answer. And 
in other fields or situations when I don't know the answer, but I think I do. I just pretend like I know what I'm talking about. And, and usually that's good enough. So yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it works. Mm-hmm. But I, I also, I, I don't suffer severely from answer syndrome because I do know when to say I really just don't know. Right. Yes. But yeah, I, I do. I know quite a few people that suffer from severe answer syndrome, though. <laughs> That was funny. It's a very interesting article. I, I liked reading that. Well, I mean, I think the concept is really good, and I, I wonder, I wonder what causes it in general. I mean, I, I know it's the, I know the, the guy here who wrote this kind of says it, or you know, I don't think it was a guy. I think it was actually a girl. Yeah. Oh well. Well, yeah. but I, but I wonder if it's, if it really is a stemming part of being online, or if it's in general being in a specific field, because I feel like people who don't have a bloody clue what's going on try to answer things like they try to they they do indeed think they know all the stuff what they're talking about see i teach these community education courses and so often i get people who think they know precisely what to do and how to do it and they don't have a clue at all mm-hmm. and i wonder if that's kind of the same thing or if that's slightly related yeah it could be that they they do know what they're doing in other fields um, or it could be that they have no clue what they're doing and they just think they do. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, mm-hmm. Well, that's that's pretty good. Yeah. That was, yeah. That was uh, some good entertainment. Yeah, I like that. So. So what's next? That was my semi-segue into the next story, entertainment. Cool. Okay, uh, entertainment. So this is this is a really, I really like this article because I definitely have found myself doing this uh, sometimes where I see a movie or I play a game and... I I have some knowledge of basic physics, <laughs> so I tend to notice when things are unrealistic in movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and there there's a, a really good article written on io9 by... I can't remember the name. Oh, it was Phil Plate, so the author of Bad Astronomy, um, which is an excellent blog. Phil Plate is a, is a great guy. He writes some good stuff. Uh, also, he actually got uh, one of my friend's parents' uh, spot on BBC television for showcasing his uh, star time-lapse video. That's pretty cool. The BBC Planet Earth live stream. But anyways, uh, yeah, so Phil Plate wrote this article about uh, getting back to just having fun watching uh, movies and enjoying the story, whether or not the science was necessarily accurate. Uh he gives he gives a good example of uh, the the generic Hollywood mistakes, the explosion behind people walking, uh, and the spaceship physics, and a few other sort of science fiction story tropes that happen all the time and are never done scientifically accurate, or very rarely done scientifically accurate, and it's really easy to notice if you know slash care about that mm-hmm. and it's sometimes it's easy to get caught up in noticing those things and just not really ha- be able to enjoy the story which is uh, something that you can fix by just paying attention to it and not actively critiquing the movie while you're watching it in your mind or out loud right more annoying mm-hmm. to other people but just sort of letting the suspension of disbelief pull you into the story more and pay less attention to the the mechanics. Right. So as a tech person, I, I find myself when I'm watching TV a lot, 
in you know regular TV shows, like somebody's hacking a server or something, and you know like they're just typing and you know stuff happens, right. and and then yeah. they click. They don't use the terminal. They click on something, and the door on the screen opens, and they have access to the bank or something. And it's right. like, really now, really? Are you kidding? Um, yeah. No, it's and, and there's all sorts of stuff like that. Yeah, uh, and uh, I think I think not only it's not, but it's not just a problem with the viewer. Um, in some situations, oftentimes it's when a movie fails to uh, bring in that uh, that sort of uh, that element that suspends your disbelief. That's I mean that's a common right uh, necessity in both science fiction and fantasy stories, uh, the suspension of disbelief. And when, especially in semi-realistic stories, when it's not done well, the those things stick out a lot more. Mm-hmm. Did and you ever see other. Did you ever see the Facebook movie? Uh, Social Network? Yes. Yes. So in the first, like, ten minutes, Mark Zuckerberg's actor guy, he is on his little 2001 laptop, and he yeah. starts typing PHP code. And you can literally read the code on the screen, and it actually is real executable code that does what he says it does in the show. And mm-hmm. then he runs some terminal commands to wget all the files, and everything for the first 10 minutes was pinpoint perfect uh, yeah. in terms... Yeah, I actually noticed that. Yeah, and I was so just, like, pleased and impressed and glad and happy <laughs> that I actually know what I'm talking about uh, for it to be in a movie. Um and in, in some a lot of shows they don't they don't go that far they just make up some stuff and call it good enough right which is really disappointing considering how easy it should be to get someone or to to get something realistic especially for computer science related with any things. any kind of tech yeah but on the other hand let's say somebody was hacking a bank they don't want to show you the four months it took for them to find a zero day exploit to launch a virus in right. the bank or something. So I mean, that, yeah, I mean, it's tr- it is kind of tricky to do a story that's enticing with that. But I suppose right. So the the actual process is probably not a good thing to show. But the sort of uh, trying to make it look good by like adding a UI for the hacker, like right, like the, my oh god, the one that really bothers me is in uh, like car chase scenes or something, mm-hmm. and they have a hacker on the on the squad, yeah, and he's like changing the traffic lights. And he brings up the like the map. He like steals the screen essentially from whatever traffic control operation is in the city. Yeah. And then he like you know like types a few things and like a couple lights turn green and then he blacks out the whole thing and clicks on a few whatever lights to change them. And it's like that's not I don't know. It's just that strikes me as very overdoing the whole try and make this look really cool right of course and and so you know if you want to be a real hacker you know what you should do you should go to hackertyper.net and that'll make you yes. a real hacker that is the best hacking site <laughs> and i i do suggest you do it while you're in the library while all the administrators are watching you yes you'll, you'll you will be granted kingdom uh keys and you can do whatever you want <laughs> yes yes <laughs> So do you think this kind of critiquing is kind of that answer syndrome thing? Uh, sort of, but it's also, just, I, I think it's just, just a, yeah. it's a personality thing, I think, that mm-hmm. some people... Uh, well, when you care about something, maybe you want it to actually yeah. be right. Or that, yeah. And I mean, movies are getting better as far as, like, portraying accurate physics and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they're still not very good, <laughs> but better, which is, which is good. Yeah. Like, um, 
every time Neil deGrasse Tyson goes on The Daily Show, <laughs> he mentions that Jon Stewart's globe spins the wrong direction. Oh, yes, I did. I do remember that, yes. And I think that's great. Mm-hmm. And, I, I mean, they, they keep it that way, I think, so that he can say it every time he goes on the show. <laughs> they don't change it on purpose, which is great. But Or, or they um, want America to spin into the scene first. That could be. I don't know. I, I made I, that up. It yeah. sounds legit, though. Yeah, it does. <laughs> uh, but so that that type of uh, at least awareness of that is is good, I think. Mm-hmm. But, so what do we have next? Um, next, I think we should mention hmm, the some of the things that we were going to talk about at the end of last week's episode, which got cut out due to time restraints. Yes. Uh, so these are a couple uh, articles on space.com. So uh, some good uh, space articles. Um, the first one is about a giant body of water that astronomers have discovered, uh, which is the largest and oldest mass of water so far detected in the universe. It's 12 billion years old and... Wow. It harbors 140 trillion times more water than all of Earth's oceans combined. It's impossible so, to imagine what that means. I don't even know. It means a lot of water. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, that's a ridiculous amount of water. Mm-hmm. 140 trillion times, you like read that, it's like, well, that's a lot of water. That is a lot of water. Like, if you if you think, uh, of, I mean, you can you can barely put a scale to that for anything realistic. Do you know how far away the water is? Um, yeah, it's in it's in a uh, or it's it's surrounding a supermassive black hole. Oh, which is which coincidentally also holds a universe full of water. From last week's show, you know, universes hold little. I mean, black holes hold little universes in them. Yeah, yeah. Which we will come back to once I have time to think about because I I think that'd be interesting. I I do I agree. Um, so. The, oh, actually, I guess the article does not mention how far away it is. Hmm. But, uh, it's pretty far away. Yeah. It's in, the quasar is APM08279 plus 5255. Well, that is a great name. So, yeah. Uh, and the black hole is 20 billion more times more massive than the sun, which is a lot of billions of times. <laughs> yes, well, I think 140 trillion times is even more billions but you know whatever right well so so if you if you're looking at uh i just put this into wolfram alpha a minute ago when when you mentioned it how how to like think about how much water that is if you take the earth and you you fit it into the sun Mm -hmm. you can fit the the volume of water on the earth into the sun about a million times okay so if you have a, a thousand suns made out of water well just kidding 100,000 suns made out of water. And you think about that. <laughs> that's a lot. That's, you can, that's you can also uh, think about it as seven times the number of red blood cells in the human body. Yeah, but that's that's harder to think about. I know, that doesn't mean anything. Volume. You can also think about it as the prime factorization of 2 to the 14th, 5 to the 13th, and 7th to the 1st. Yeah. You can think about it like so. that if you want. That's just just the number, though. As no, I, far as how volume it takes. Well, up. I know, but it's, I, I just love Wolfram, Wolfram's answer. Yeah, when you put in a number and they yeah. tell you all about it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but anyway, so there's a lot of water. Uh, and it could features in, well, not only is this important because it's 12 billion years old, and that's very, very old. So that's very young water as far as the, like the age of the universe that you'd be only like 2 billion years old. Um, Wait, so how old is the universe? Uh, right now, it's like 14 billion. Okay, right, okay. Uh, and so that if this cloud is 12 billion years old, that means this the water is 2 billion years old. Mm-hmm. Since we know that water was a crucial building block for life on Earth, that is a promising sign for the uh, arising of life elsewhere in the universe. Because if water's been around that long, then life could have been around. Right. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. So that's that's a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, also, features, similar features. Um, oh, turns out the quasar is 12 billion light years from Earth. Turns out. Okay. Which makes sense. Because it's 12 billion years old. Right. Wait, what? Yes. That means that we're seeing it at the beginning of its life? Right, and I was wondering if you would get to that, but I didn't push it. <sighs> Try not huh. to be in a know-it-all here, you know? That's, uh... So I, so I guess the it must be a little bit older than 12 billion years old. They're probably I'm... doing some rounding. Yeah. I like how uh, the cloud has a temperature of negative 63 degrees Fahrenheit. Which isn't actually that cold. No, I mean, that's that's very warm for deep space. Deep space, that's, right? That's hot. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty impressive. Uh, and oh, and so what I what I was going to say earlier is features similar to this with large amounts of water in space could become very important in the uh, in the future of Homo diaspora. One of my favorite things. Did, have we talked about this on previous? Episodes? I don't believe so because I'm trying to Google it right now. I don't know if you'll get anything. I can't remember where I got the term from. It could you could get something. Uh, well, I, I, Google knew how to autocomplete it, but it didn't give me any good results. Yeah, it's not it's not like a real thing. Well, Google hates you. Oh, so I stole it from Tina Mieville's Embassy Town book, which oh. I think I mentioned on the show at some point. Well, that makes sense because that, it's listed here. Which is really good. Yeah. And so, so that's where I stole the term from, but it's, it's become one of my favorite things. So that's just essentially the next evolution in the, the human species is Homo diaspora, which is when we fly out to populate other stars and other solar systems. Well, that sounds fantastic. Um, and so features like this containing lots of water could be very important, uh, especially if the asteroid miners are to be believed. Uh, we mentioned right. this. Two shows ago, maybe? maybe yeah. It could have been three. It's hard to tell now. Planet, the Planetary Resources, mm-hmm. the launch of that asteroid mining company, uh, they mentioned mining asteroids for water as an important uh, first step, or first first goal, I guess. Uh, first, Yeah, first mining operation would be to mine for water, possibly. Uh, because in space, water is important. You need water to drink. And then the step after that is we meet the Covenant, and then the step after that is we kill the Flood, and then after that we meet the Forerunners. Well, right. look at that. We predicted it so all. <laughs> and then the Reapers come. Right, and then the Reapers come, and then it all doesn't matter anymore. Right. Unless, uh... God, what's his name? The Captain? Shepard. Yes. Commander Shepard. Uh, anyways. So, yeah, so that, that's pretty interesting to think about sources of water that old and mm-hmm. stuff. Um... And uh, I think that's the only one we'll talk about from last week. Maybe okay. we can talk that's... about the other ones. They're, less, they're not time sensitive at all. So right. Okay. What's next? Uh, next, something that I find pretty interesting, um, which I would talk about in the context of our 
uh, dystopian futures that we never uh, did yet section that we have not done yet, which we really <laughs> should do. Yes, we really we should. should talk about that a lot. But anyways, so um, some big news in Detroit. Uh, apparently, a lot of people are moving out of Detroit. Uh, there are 60% fewer residents today than in 1950. That's a crazy statistic. That is cra- pretty crazy. Uh, Did, does anybody know where they all went? I Other cities, I assume. Like I suburbs mean, or something? That's pretty bad. I guess I guess now there are 700,000 people in Detroit. That's the entire population of Detroit. Hmm. Um, and I guess 20, 20 neighborhoods in Detroit are only 10 to 15% occupied. Wow. Uh, Wow, there's some crazy statistics in this article. If they're true, I mean, like, that's... Yeah, wow. so, so the government can't do anything about it because usually... Can't, like, force people to leave their homes. Right, that's usually pretty bad. And there's a lot of buildings that are abandoned and just sitting there, which is not good for anything, really. And, of course, uh, as many as 15,000 15, of Detroit streetlights rely on 1920s technology. That sounds pretty bad, too. <laughs> so- Actually, that 1920s technology is still... In well, I, I think what they mean is that they were put in a while ago and they're still kind of crappy. Yeah. Um, well, so when I had read this uh, headline, I didn't know that it meant that nobody lived there anymore. I thought they meant like, oh, look, they're going to save power by turning the lights off earlier or something. Yeah. No, yeah. so that, that's why I was going to try and link it in that dystopian futures segment. But Oh. Uh, so the... One of the statistics that I just read that I didn't notice before is that uh, they're um, they're just going to phase out the streetlights, and forty percent of the streetlights are already broken. That's a lot of streetlights that are already phased out since they're broken, and then they're just going to turn off more. That seems like a lot of a high percentage of their streetlights that they're just turning off. I like how the writer of this article put that statistic in in parentheses. Right. Yeah. Well, it's not super important. Yeah. But yeah. Anyways, the I I like how they're just like they're like okay, well, we can't force you to move, so we'll just not have any streetlights in your area, and hope that you move to other areas. <laughs> well, so then the the commenters go into more detail about why and what the plan is and other things. Mm-hmm. There's like there's a link um at the bottom yeah. updated mm-hmm. some more. Oh wow, that's a that's well, the comment. And that that comment is longer than the article. Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna that's read not, it. Now. I'm not gonna great. read it now. But I I think uh, everybody else should read it. Yeah. Um, we'll pause for you right now. We'll pause for you so you can go read the comments. Oh, <laughs> was that a good comment? Did you like that? Yeah, that was that was great. Yeah, uh, I, I definitely just read all of it. Yeah. Right. Uh, okay. As you listeners should have. Right. So, anyways, moving on. <laughs> um, I suppose now would be a good a time, good a time as I need to mention that I'm going to be taking a short hiatus from the universe. I think you uh, mentioned it last week, but yeah. Yeah. Well, the I suppose I could mention where I'm going. I don't know if I did that. Maybe I don't know. I, I don't know if you did. Uh. So, anyways, in two weeks I will be leaving, uh, to travel around the Orient be in china for a while and then japan um and as such i will not be able to do the universe so i don't know if ryan's gonna find an, a new co-host doubt temporary replacement major oh. doubt uh but anyways uh an article about japan which doesn't worry me too much although it did when i first read the title 
because it's scary. <laughs> well, I uh, I don't I don't know if they said if like it was a dangerous level, but you know. Well, the, so this is this is the type of thing where you read the title and it's like no sh- no way really I mean like that sounds terrible right and, and maybe you we should tell what the title is and you start oh so <laughs> the, title, <laughs> the title of the article is uh, Japan's radiation found in California bluefin tuna so it's like wait. Is radiation from the Fukushima disaster all the way in California? Right. There'd be tons around Japan, and turns out, turns out that the it's the well it is well below levels considered unsafe for humans. Uh, it's a, it's a radioactive cesium, I guess, which they they found in in the fish um, when they actually weren't even looking for it. I guess they were doing a study on some, something else and ended up finding some nuclear disaster mm-hmm. or nuclear disaster. Some nuclear uh, radiation in these fish. So it's not too worrying because they said it's not a whole lot. But And it also turns out that if you want any bluefish tuna or bluefin tuna, it's all caught from the Fukushima area. So you have fun with your contaminated fish. Well, so um, turns out the bluefin that are contaminated are not around Japan. Oh, well, even better. <laughs> by California. And all of the Bluefin, like you said, in the U.S. is farmed in the Fukushima area, which so, is not radi- radiation contaminated. Well, okay, so it's America's fault then. I don't know. They say, right, so they say they can trace it to Japan's nuclear disaster, but like, really? Can you? I don't know. Yeah, I'm reading this article now in more detail, and I'm confused about some of the things they're writing here. Yeah. Yeah. And then they have like just some stupid stuff. I like how it says... Cesium-137, which decays harmlessly over thousands of years. Well, you know, walk in the park. Just right. Like, yeah. So, I'm, oh, it says which decays to harmlessness only over thousands of years. Right. So if you read that with emphasis, it's less. Well, so, I don't know. Yeah, the art, I don't think it's very well written. Well, it's uh, from the SF gate, I mean, really. Also, right. they're, they're planning a new study because this one was just so interesting. Mm, right. So, yeah. Anyways. Yes. This uh, this next article I think you found, Ryan? I might have. Which one is that? Olympic. Yes. Cool. Yes. I, I did find this, and I just thought it was interesting um, because somebody thought it would be cool to write about this. And this is just so striking. But also because we'd, we'd, we'd been talking about silicine and what was the other one? Graphene? Graphene. Yes. So this is called Olympocene, and what? it looks... What? Buckminster Fullerene. I just... Yeah, you're funny. Um, uh, Ebert scene. Okay, um, and this is a, a. I don't know how they were taking the picture, but it's a picture of what appears to be the Olympic logo, the Olympics logo, uh, and it's in a molecule. That's just how exciting it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. So. I, it, the story of how this molecule was made is actually pretty pretty interesting. Yeah, so you should tell us about that. The this scientist was a ke- chemist specifically. Uh, Graham Richards um, was at a meeting of the Royal Society of Chemistry where they were trying to think of what they could do to mark the Olympics. And apparently, he had just drawn a molecule which had five rings, and so he thought, "Hmm, that looks like the Olympic rings," and thus was born. The Olympic molecule. That's pretty funny. Uh, I'm. I don't see any specifics about what it's actually 
made out of what or what like what the uh specific structure is and stuff but well so it says that uh this is made out of rings of carbon and that molecules of this nature could be conceivably used for commercial use um but they mostly just did it to excite interest in chemistry provoked by the link with the olympics okay yeah so not too much there, but I just thought it was funny because we'd been talking about graphene and stuff beforehand. So, oh, so it really is just five rings of carbon. Yeah, it really is. I thought. Well, so in the picture, it appears that it has a more pronounced structure. I suppose that's just the image, mm-hmm. um, and then different types of bonds in the middle. But yeah, that doesn't mean anything. So yeah, yeah, those Brits. Yep. Yeah, what were they called that one time? Boffins or something? Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah, something like that. Uh, oh, something I forgot to mention when we were on space.com. The other day I was browsing around uh, and I noticed a couple, well, one one thing, which was the countdowns page, which is sort of like if anybody have, has ever seen uh, the website Cracked, they always have uh, list particles. So they say the six uh like most important planetary discoveries or the 10 uh biggest unexplained cryptozoology sightings i don't know weird weird things obscure lists uh, a lot of a lot of the times it's pretty funny writing um and uh, so there's a similar thing to that where they have uh a recent one i guess is the 10 weirdest facts about venus uh, or eight baffling astronomy mysteries. So a cool uh, sort of aggregate, links aggregate thing. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Articles. We, some of those will probably appear on our show now that, they, now that I have seen mm-hmm. that. When I first um, saw this page, I thought, hmm, look, album art. <laughs> yeah, right. I what, think, was, what was that other one you found, too? Oh, the other one was actually from that page. Oh, well, um, okay, then. Ten Strangest Things in Space. And that uh, would be antimatter, mini black mini holes. Black hole. Uh, yeah. Let's see what's the next one. Oh my gosh, could you load slower? Cosmic microwave background radiation, probably. Yes. Uh, let's see. Uh, dark matter. That's always fun. Exoplanets. Uh, I don't know if that's so interesting. Uh, gravity waves. Now that is pretty uh, interesting. So the exoplanets one is actually supposed to say extrasolar planets. Well, now that is not what it says. Right, but that's what it means, <laughs> which is which is more interesting. Okay, well that would make it much exo- more interesting. Right. Okay, gravity waves. I love gravity waves. Galactic cannibalism. That's pretty good. Uh, neutrinos, uh, quasars, and vacuum energy. Mm-hmm. Now, I once heard this very great scientist many, many years ago say that nothing is very unstable. Nothing is very unstable. That's correct. Yes. That is what he said. Indeed. Those science puns. So good. Yes. Um, so the exoplanets one, I suppose... Exo and extrasolar are the same thing these days. Um, Last so week not they like, weren't. Well, so it's not like uh, planets floating around in space. It's planets uh, orbiting other stars, which I don't think is that interesting because obviously planets are orbiting other stars. Obviously. Well, I, I mean... I agree with you. I don't know why it made the list of the top ten strangest things in space. It doesn't seem very strange, but uh, Right, whatever. that's what I said. That's why I didn't get it. Uh, anyway, I, I thought it meant uh, like extrastellar planets, I guess. Yeah, planets not orbiting any any star. Um, um that that but, could but happen, but I haven't heard any any lately. 
Yeah. So uh, the next thing, I guess, is black holes. Okay. Or black holes. It's always uh, my favorite. The astronomers have discovered a massive black hole that is sort of moving at enormous speeds away from its galaxy. Uh, generally, you would expect it would be pulled towards the galactic center or be at the galactic center pulling everything mm-hmm. towards itself. Turns out it is fleeing from the galaxy in the sense that it's just moving away very fast, not actually fleeing. That's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. So what uh, what galaxy is this? Does it have a uh, name? This is in CID42. Oh, another one of those names, huh? Yep. Mm, uh, so cool. it's I like how io9 mentions that <laughs> as if black holes weren't already scary enough. Yeah, I saw that. It can move very fast. Uh, so it's I, it's moving at several million miles per hour. Yes. Which is that's pretty scary. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, or it's not it's not scary so much as crazy. Right. Imp- it's yeah. very impressive. Uh, Imp- impressive. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, like, if a if a black hole was uh, several million miles away right now, it would be here in an hour. Well, That's, get packing. Yeah, right. We're going to the, the universe in the black hole. Yeah. Whew. Or maybe you'll wind up on wherever Master Chief is. Right. That's a that's, uh, possibility as well. Or if you're taking pictures with this telescope, this uh, Chandra X-ray observatory, you might add some you know special little fake boxes to it and some electronics to make it look more impressive in the movie. What's next? Uh, next. Is, uh, oh, I didn't know there was an uh, Iron Man 3. That's cool. Yeah, so uh, I had special to do that next. You just said that. Yeah. Um, the uh, set, uh, set picture, the first official, technically official set picture from Iron Man 3 has been released um, where Tony Stark, Robert Downey Jr., is uh, admiring in, is admiring in, is admiring his, uh, all of the different generations of the Iron Man suits, hmm. which I think was a really cool thing that they did in Iron Man 2 which wasn't a great movie, but a really cool part was where he had sort of a, a trophy wall of all the different generations of Iron Man suits. Uh, and it appears that a similar thing, he has a similar thing in the third movie uh, with seven suits on the wall. So the, it'll probably be the Mark Eight or the Mark Nine or some, some other name for his new suit. It's pretty cool. I'm, I, I, I like the Iron Man series. I don't like, Marvel or Avengers so much, but I like Iron Man. It's pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder what the plot is going to be this time. Hmm. I don't know. I'm, I'm looking forward to it, though. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, see, some more news-ish things. Uh, tomorrow is, uh, well, today. as of when we're recording this show, it is June 5th. Yeah. Uh, so, later today. Right. Uh there will be a solar transit of Venus, which is a pretty big deal because it occurs once every, well, twice every 100 years, but two times in very close succession, mm-hmm. uh, and then not again for about 100 years. So this won't happen again until 2117, so don't miss it. Yeah, definitely. Do not miss it. Um, I was really excited about this <laughs> up until, like, 30 minutes ago because <laughs> or just before we started the show right because i thought that it was happening on june 6th which is my birthday and i was gonna be like man 
that's the coolest thing to happen on my birthday. Um, <laughs> well, you know, if it had happened on your birthday, it would have been cloudy. So, yeah. Oh, wait. It occurs either on June 5th or June 6th. Oh, Let's great. See. Well, there you go. Dang. Oh. Now, see, if I was in Asia right now, <laughs> it would be. <laughs> ah, so you're a couple uh, weeks late. The 6th. You right. just can't win. Yeah. So, can you see it here in Minnesota or in the United like, States in general? You'll be able to see it only on the 5th. It will start at sunset. Okay. Hmm. Or it's, it'll... it's one thirty-second of the diameter of the sun. So in other words, it's kind of tiny. Yeah, but you, you'll be able to see it. Um, I don't know if you'll be able to see it with bare bare eyes. <laughs> with with uh, what is what is that? No glasses <laughs> without without eye protection. I don't know. Now that you what? mentioned it, I don't know what that's called. The naked eye. Naked eye. There you go. <laughs> hey, you know, at least we're not falling syndrome to the answer syndrome. Right. Right. Um, so on the Ionon article for the transit of Venus, they have a link to the uh, a website, which I don't know if it's from NASA. It looks like it's probably from NASA. Um, Try posting this. Well, you can get the link. It's yes. uh Oh, NASA recommends this handy web applet, which will get your location and show you essentially what, where Venus will be on the sun, what time it will be, what time each of the things will happen. And they'll even teach you how to build or buy protective eyewear. Hmm. Interesting. So that might be handy. Oh, they have a ping back sheet. That's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, that, that's a, handy thing if you're interested in, in watching this happen. So it looks like it lasts for a good three hours or so. Well, that's pretty good. At least this time you won't miss part of it. Oh, six hours. Even better. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I don't think we'll be able to see it because, uh, or see all of it. I mean, right. because um, sunset happens at about uh, eight, right? Is that right? It sounds about right. It's got to be later than that these days. Can't tell. Um, Ask Wolfram. Uh, nine o'clock, and the um, transit lasts until about eleven p.m. So we're just out of range of being able to see the whole thing. Pretty close, though. That's pretty good. Yeah, that is pretty good. So hopefully tomorrow I will be on my sailboat on Lake Calhoun. Awake, I might add. Atlas, awake. Yes, <laughs> hopefully, uh, and I will be able to witness this. I'm, Looking forward to it. Should be pretty cool. Yeah, sounds great. Sadly, not on my birthday, but well, close enough. yeah, it's. I think it's pretty close. I'll, it's on my birthday in a different country. That counts. Yes, it does. <laughs> it's it's yeah. It's continuing throughout through the night. Yeah, of, yeah. Time zones. Anyways, that that's pretty cool. Um, and also tomorrow, another uh, momentous event. The hopefully <laughs> the the first episode of. Uh, the fringe will be recorded. Um, I don't know if the blog is the blog open to the public. Yeah, everything's open to the blo- public, but you know, only Ian Buck reads then. Well, I mean, the blog isn't linked to from the website, is it? Oh no, it's not. Right, so you'd have to go to the nexus.tv slash blog. No, it's, it it's blog. Dot, y- yes. No, blog dot the nexus.tv. Don't you just hate no. that dash? I mean, it makes yeah. you cry. Yeah. Well, so here's the thing. Now, as a podcaster, um. 
you know, I like doing things right. And, you know, I've been studying podcasting for maybe two years right now. I mean, I've been listening and then figuring out what their equipment is and, you know, doing their mimicking their styles and making my own style and, you know, all sorts of stuff. And so yeah. typically what I use that blog for is service announcements and posting things about the network and things that the hosts do typically go on their own respective blogs, usually and typically. Right. And and so I have posted a few things um, related to the network. I think uh, in the appropriate vein of news um, relating to new shows being recorded and stuff like that. Right. Um, one of which was the book review segment. Uh, which we'll be doing very soon. We'll, we will be doing very soon. I only have 100 pages left in the book. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, you know the what we one. might even do? We might even like put them together. We could do the the, uh, oh, the yeah. fringe thing and the book review all at once. Yeah, That'd that would be, good. be uh Well, so for those of you who haven't been reading the blog, uh, the fringe thing is uh, an idea that I had after listening to an interview with Neil deGrasse Tyson, um, where he uh, some some reporter asks him what he would bring if he were stuck on a deserted island. And so Neil has some pretty good answers. Of course, being an astrophysicist, he has his favorite telescope, and he has his favorite uh, music. He's going to bring his favorite telescope, huh? Yeah, of course. Is he going to bring food? Well, these are assuming you have food and stuff like that. But, oh, okay. Um, so you, you, you like the luxuries or the if, uh, yeah. If you listen to the if you listen to the uh, interview, he, oh, okay. he gives a pretty good intro to it. So we'll we could probably do that as well for our our version. Okay. And so yeah. I decided that we should do that as hosts of the universe. We should give our own brief uh, answer to that question since well, it is one of the timeless questions, right? Which people ask to sort of learn a little bit more about what you hold dear. Yeah, that sounds good. So, yeah, that, that should be fun. And uh, hopefully we'll get those done tomorrow as well. Yep. And I think that is it. Well, that sounds good. So what are your uh, plans for the rest of the week? Are you doing Guild Wars on the weekend? Yeah. And you leave yep. next Friday or Saturday? The week, Not, uh, not this week, but the week after. Yeah. Yeah. Two weeks. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we'll get a couple more episodes of the universe in before I go. Yep, that sounds good. And... Yeah. Yes, and uh, where can we find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Sam Eberts, or my blog, which uh, was updated recently uh, in honor of an intergalactic towel day. That's right. Um, and will hopefully be updated in the future. I might use it as a travel blog. I hope sorts. you do. That'd be really uh, great. Yeah. Or, or I'll, I'll put some of these these types of things up there as well. So I was also going to ask, so when you're in China, or, yeah, pretty much China, um, you probably won't have, like, phone access, like, traditional phone access. But I was going to ask, uh, would a person be able to tweet in China? I don't know if Twitter's blocked it there or not. You know, I don't know. I was I, under I the have... impression that it was, but I feel like I've heard people tweeting from China before. I mean, I technically have my own proxy that I could use so I would be able to do it anyways right um but then you'd be on the street and you'd get mugged slash kidnapped by the government what did I say same thing <laughs> mugged uh so so yeah uh hopefully I think I'll be able to tweet I won't be able to get on Facebook I don't think but I think I can get on Twitter 
and I might I might have a phone while I'm there since T-Mobile I think is pretty good at international service. Well, that's uh, good. Get a new SIM card with like some prepaid minutes on it. The fact that they're compatible with I don't know international services is quite impressive to me actually. But you know whatever. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's good. As long as you can tweet, it's always good. Uh, right. And of course, you can find me, Ryan Rampersad, just about anywhere, especially on the Twitter, which is Ryan MR. And of course, you can find me here at the Nexus, where we do the universe every so often, usually on the weekend, except on days Sam's on vacation, which will be shortly for a month and a half. Also, this is the show where we talk about science, science fiction, space, space stuff, cool stuff, fish with radiation in them. That's always cool. Yeah, I think this is a great show, Sam. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Well, have a good one. Okay, not only was he not holding a really long club, he was holding a short war war axe that or great axe that like the hat the head of which would have been just just off of his hand. And if he were to hold it at such a length that it could reach the head of a nine-foot-tall creature in a ten-foot-deep hole, then it would be at such a awkward distance that he would be easily overbalanced, at which point, in a game such as Dungeons & Dragons, you would have to make a dexterity check to keep from falling into the hole. And while you're explaining all that, I'm just laughing because it's hilarious. <laughs> Fine. Okay, you know what? Put that as a show title. What 10 feet it? tall and 10 feet deep. 10 feet tall, 10 feet deep? Yeah. Okay. Um, what I'll do is I'll splice this in at the end of the show after the uh, uh, end, because it's funny. Okay. <laughs> that is so funny.